So if you want to turn in your Bibles or in the Blue Pew Bible uh, over to uh, Galatians 5, we're going to look at I have walked up here without a Bible. I'm a genius. <laughs> Preacher without a Bible. Y'all are going to excommunicate me. Um, all right. So Galatians chapter 5, God eats popcorn. That's how I remember Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. <laughs> um, We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. That's page 974 in the Blue Pew Bible. Now, we've been going through a series here in the evening that we're calling Duplex Gratia, which was John Calvin's Latin phrase that means double grace, where he talked about the twofold benefit that we receive from union with Christ. First, when we believe in Christ, we are justified and therefore receive God as our indulgent Father, Calvin says. And second, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then receive an ambition to live a holy life. In other words, in being saved by God, we get the double grace of justification and sanctification. Now, we started uh, a month ago talking about what, what justification is, and two weeks ago we talked about when justification is, that is already and not yet, and starting in two weeks we're going to turn to sanctification, uh, that's growing in godliness, growing in grace. But tonight, before we do that, we turn to a almost odd, but I do think important topic. And that is, how does justification get mangled? How do we get justification wrong? Uh, Now, the Apostle Paul took getting justification right very seriously because he uses some strong language about those who get justification wrong, uh, one of which passages we're going to read tonight from Galatians 5. Now, just a little context Paul has written uh, this letter to the Galatians because of the errors he's heard about, and he's very upset. And he says, Why have you so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and turned to a different gospel? And this whole letter is trying to correct their, uh, their turning from the gospel of justification by faith into freedom into whatever error it is they've stumbled into. So with that being said, and the scene sort of set, I'm going to ask you to please stand if you're able and give your attention to the reading of God's Word from Galatians 5, 1 through 16. This is the Word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul, starting in Galatians 5, 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look! I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who, that every man, uh, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Thus far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that for the sake of our consciences, our souls, our peace of mind, that you would always protect us from false conceptions of justification that many seem to fall into, at times even us. Help us to see Jesus more clearly tonight and revel in the fact that through justification in Jesus Christ, God is indeed our indulgent Father. And let that comfort us and lead us to worship and adore you, O triune God, more than ever, this evening and forevermore. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Amelia has been told her whole life that she needs to be a good girl because Jesus loves her. Well, the indicative empowers the imperative. That's not too bad. But... Now that her marriage is ending, over her momentary, though serious, lapse in judgment, sleeping with her co-worker, she feels as though she has become untouchable and is contemplating simply leaving the church forever. Sam looks at porn while using cocaine, but he feels no guilt at all because this pastor who baptized him told him that, you know, once he's saved, nothing he can do can ever cause him to lose his salvation. So now, he's going to have as much fun as he can before he dies. Miguel is sure that since he's given that $10,000 check to the missionaries, God is surely going to give him favor in his upcoming business deal. Besides, he goes to a church that does things decently and in order, with solid preaching, not like one of those heathen churches with their loud music and irreverent uh, pastors with untucked shirts. So God will surely not bless that lowlife from the church down the street who's competing with him for the deal. Every one of those things I just said is an error. Basically, Mike has asked me to teach you error tonight. Uh, And what I mean is, I've been tasked with thinking through the many ways that people get justification wrong. And I'm just going to lay these out one by one and Someone's going to get offended before this night's out, and I hope that you'll, after you get offended, you discover the grace of Christ is far 
more sweet than you ever realized because you've been trapped in a prison of your own making by not understanding justification. All the short stories I just told you are false. False views of justification. And the relational fallout that will inevitably come from all of them are the results of false understandings of justification. So getting this doctrine right has real practical life applications and consequences. So we need to get it right. In fact, Paul, when he starts talking about justification here, gets almost crude about people who pervert justification. Right In verse 12, Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And I want to be careful not to be crass here, but like, if you don't understand what the word emasculate means, I grew up on a farm, so I know what it means. Paul just says that what these guys are doing by perverting justification is so bad, he hopes they take a knife and cut off their own testicles. And it, that's what he said. That's what the Bible says. So when apostles start talking about that, um, we probably need to pay attention <laughs> and not do that, right? <laughs> so, uh, the short answer as to what these people were doing, these Judaizers, as we call them, were teaching uh, against the apostles' teaching about justification by grace through faith in Christ. They were teaching that justification was not by grace, not through faith, not in Christ. In other words, they were teaching against three of the five solas we've been looking at in the morning. Hence the reason this is still a Reformation-themed sermon. So, we need to look at all the various ways that justification gets mangled. Some of them are identified right here in Galatians 5. Some of them are identified elsewhere in the Bible. And some of them I can just tell you about from interactions with uh, people. And so that's really what we're going to, that's really the outline of what we're going to do. We're going to look at the, we're, at what's happening in Galatians. We're going to look at a couple other Bible passages. We're going to look at a couple of real life examples. And then I'm going to end by giving you a brief just reminder of what true justification is. Uh, so unfortunately, the uh, outline on the back of the handouts, w- w- the spacing's wrong. You should have like this much for all the ways it's wrong, and this much for what it actually is, but it sort of got reversed on the outline, so sorry about that. Um, Let's start out, though, with looking at this passage of Galatians. Paul is talking about submitting again to slavery and accepting circumcision and therefore needing to keep the whole law in order to be right in right standing with God. Because he says in verse 4 that if you believe you got to be circumcised, well, then you have to be justified by the law. That is the whole law. And have therefore fallen away from grace. And he explains what that means all the way through verse 12. The Judaizers, which is some sort of a sect of people, uh, actually did probably say that you had to believe in Jesus as the Christ, But they also added these Jewish ceremonial works that were a part of what God commanded under the Old Covenant. 
uh, or before Christ came. But Paul says if we still have to keep circumcision, since it's been replaced by baptism, he's not saying that explicitly here, but that's the logic behind it. Uh, if you still have to be circumcised to be right with God, then you really need to keep the entire Old Testament law, all of those ceremonial laws, uh, and actually the moral law too, although these Judaizers were essentially Pharisees and probably didn't understand the depth of the moral law. Paul's saying if that's true, then you, basically Jesus can't save you. You need to do everything to save yourself. Uh, or another way to say it is the Judaizers were teaching, yeah, you need Jesus, but you need Jesus plus works. But if that's true, if that is true, then the offense, the Greek word is scandalon, from which we get the word scandal, the offense of the cross is removed. And Jesus on the cross and raised from the dead never saved anyone. So let me say to you, Based on this, if there is any particular, if you believe there is a particular set of rules that you can keep to getting good with God, well, then the cross is useless. And this is the essence of many versions of many errors that have been made about justification throughout the centuries. People have said, well, Christianity is about Jesus plus something. Uh, And there's actually some irony uh, in that someone who has actually fallen into scandal and error himself got one thing very, very right. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything else equals nothing at all. My friends, the gospel is, it doesn't matter who said it, He was right when he said Jesus plus nothing is everything. The most obvious form of this error is simply saying something like, you know, I can be good enough for God to like me. I can be good enough that God should be glad to have me on his team. I can do enough that I know I'm going to go to heaven. In other words, this error is the quintessential American religion. This is, the Ameri- this is the religion upon which America was founded and based. I can be good enough for God. Good people go to heaven when they die. But the Bible teaches something very different. The simple fact stated clearly in Romans 3, which we read, is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, and I add, only by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or as Paul said earlier in the letter to the Galatians, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So if that's how this error about justification plays out in the world around us, how does it play out in our own churches? 
because it does play out in our own churches on a regular basis too. I have heard many Westminster-affirming PCA Christians say, well, a real Christian would, and then say something that might even have some wisdom and good advice behind it, but isn't actually an identifiable command, whether explicitly or by necessity in the Bible. And that person at that point has shown that at some level they do not have a deep and abiding understanding of justification. Well, real Christians would have better music. Real Christians would have more social services in their church. Real Christians would preach differently. Real Christians wouldn't be so wild and irreverent or frozen chosen or whatever. It's Jesus plus in order to be a real Christian. Something similar, a similar error happens when someone picks a particular pet sin and says, well, no one who is a Christian would commit that sin. No one who is a Christian, a real Christian, would commit a homosexual sin or, or adultery, I'm picking on sexual sins, or embezzlement, or uh, punch someone's lights out, which purportedly St. Nicholas actually did to Athanasius at the Council of Nicaea. Right? And essentially by naming that sin that no real Christian would commit, we create a new unforgivable sin and so show that we do not have a deep abiding understanding of justification. Anytime, and sometimes it's a little more deep laden, right? They won't say it that explicitly. So, but you can still hear it in the way they talk. Anytime a Christian talks and sounds like they feel superior to someone else, whether to another denomination who may even genuinely get it wrong, or just feels superior to that other sinner, at least my sin's not as bad as theirs, they are at the very least misperceiving, if not utterly misunderstanding, justification. No one would be so bold as to say it in our circles, but Sometimes people communicate, because I'm justified, I'm therefore better than those assumably unjustified people. And that's how it comes across. On the other side, those people, whoever they are, often believe the exact same error as we do. But they express it this way. I'm too bad. I've done too much. I've committed that sin. God could never forgive me because I've just fallen way too far. And if that's you tonight, I just want to tell you right now, it is not possible to fall that far. If anyone ever says to you, I've committed that sin. I've fallen too far. God could never forgive me. I want you to grab them and shake them and say, it's not possible to fall that far. God's love is for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. So this, there's so many examples of this throughout literature and movies, but this is the one that is just stuck in my head. So... If you haven't seen Marvel's The Avengers, get with the times. Uh, to be a real Christian, that is. Okay, some people laughed. Some of you look really serious, and you need to get a sense of humor. That's okay. Um, 
So Marvel's Avengers, uh, in Endgame, uh, Jeremy Renner, uh, who's playing Hawkeye, basically after his family gets snapped out of existence by Thanos, goes off and becomes this vigilante and is just murdering people. Uh, And at one point, he is in the middle of brutally murdering these Kazuya, uh, like, Japanese gangsters. And Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, shows up behind him. And he says, I wish you hadn't, why did you come for me? And she says, I came to get you. We've got a chance. And he says, you don't want me. I've fallen too far. You don't know what I've done. And Black Widow looks at Hawkeye and says, I know exactly what you've done and I don't care. We want you. And that is a little picture of the gospel. I don't care what you've done, God says to you. I want you. Returning to the book of Galatians. It is interesting where Paul goes next, starting in verses 13 through 16, because he goes from talking explicitly about being just, the idea of being justified by works as an error, and then he begins to talk about the freedom that comes from justification and what it looks like. So I'll actually read verses 13 through 16 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Oh, that happens a lot in churches. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, the freedom that he identifies leads to Good works, service, love, lack of backbiting and hatred. It becomes walking in the Spirit rather than giving in to whatever the flesh wants to do. In other words, he's starting to get into the sanctification that flows out from justification. But in this context, he's wanting to be very clear. There is not something people do to achieve relationship with God or earn salvation but that these good works that he will go on to explain throughout the rest of chapter 5 are the fruit of the Spirit, a product of the freedom of already having the relationship through faith. True faith, true union with Christ, true justification does begin to work its way out in good works in our lives. Hence, James apparently had to correct Uh, an error on yet another side in James 2, writing, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. And then he lists off a number of examples of people who he he actually goes so far as to say were justified by works. Although, you've got to be careful with context. He doesn't mean they were saved by works. 
Uh, but he ends by saying, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And if you want to get into the weeds of that passage, Pastor Mike preached on this last year. It's on Sermon Audio. Uh, and excuse me, I, I want you to go listen to it. I want you to go listen to his sermon because it's so good. I listened to it this afternoon again. Uh, but the point is we are not saved by works, but supposed, supposed faith that produces no works is dead faith and therefore not saving faith. Ooh, starting to feel some tension, I hope. So if you turn around and try to do good works to get saved, you still don't have faith. But when you know there's nothing you can do to be saved and stop trying to do things to be saved and just rest in Jesus, you will respond to your salvation in good works. In other words, until you know that you might as well quit trying to be good in order to get saved, you can't be saved. As long as you think you can be good enough, you're damned. But once you know that you can't possibly be good enough, then you get to find the pleasure of seeking good just for the sake of it when you rest in Christ. As Paul wrote to Titus, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Or the... Uh, Verses we love to quote around here, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. We normally stop with verse 9, but we need to include 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think of it this way. Someone who is trying to be good to get saved is not doing good because they love God. Someone who is doing good works to get saved is selfish and self-centered. And they will probably be self-righteous for all the good things they do. That's a, a good way to figure out if someone is religious or Christian, and there is a difference, is whether or not someone feels really, really self-righteous about how good they are and all the good things they've done. If they, if they often uh, basically come across as feeling much better, that they are much better than other people, you might wonder if they're really saved or just religious. But someone who loves God, because that person is just doing good to be self-serving, but someone who is being good because they know they're loved is acting out of gratitude. And they will give God credit for all they do. And what they do will always be done 
in a humility that says, hey, I'm right here with you. Right? And this really is the difference. This is the heart between behind Christian good works versus religious good works. And if you're already feeling frustrated by this nuance I'm trying to tease out here, let me go ahead and name just another error that may tease us out a little bit more that we Presbyterians are especially prone to. Now, while I do believe the Bible, and as some very clear teachings on justification and the problems of false teachings on justification. That's literally the topic of this sermon, is the problem with false teachings on justification. (laughs) Right? False teachings are a hindrance to one's spiritual walk, and particularly a hindrance to their delight in their salvation. The Bible never not once says we are saved by perfect theology alone. So just because someone falls into a misunderstanding does not necessarily mean they're not saved. Most of the tests that Jesus gives about seeing who's saved and who's not has to do with their good works and the attitude behind their good works, not the precision of their theology. So an arrogant Reformed person and a humble Roman Catholic person, ooh, One might be more saved than the other, but you might be surprised which one is saved. Sure, do they need to be corrected and repent? Yeah, but sometimes God just doesn't leave them to a teacher for whatever reason, and that's none of our business. But to be quick to say so-and-so isn't saved without some very clear qualifications from the Bible, especially when you're saying that over Uh, theological disagreements with people who believe Jesus is Lord, was physically resurrected, and the Bible is God's word, is itself a sign that despite your good theology, you might have a bad understanding of justification and God's grace. And let's just keep going with the theological errors. Like I said, if this feels like I'm just listing things, that's because I literally had no other way than listing things to figure out how to go through this sermon. (laughs) So I'm listing things. Um, There is a biblical and unresolvable tension in justification. That's why I keep going back and forth. If you're trying to do good in order to be saved, you can't be saved. But if you think you're saved, and then you have no good works in your life, you have no repentance of sin of any kind in your life, well, then you shouldn't have any confidence you're saved either. All right? So I just turned the tables, right? I went from talking to the, the legalists to talking to the antinomians, that is, the people who think they don't have to keep the law or do anything good. Now, I do want to say, because I do think this is important, there is a, what I'm going to call, theoretical true Christian that has real faith and is an utter failure. He just keeps sinning. He keeps failing. He keeps going back to drugs or the bottle or committing adultery. And he does so until the day he dies. I I think there are... Now, before someone goes and says, Pastor West doesn't believe in sanctification, I did say theoretical. And there's a lot of qualifications behind this. So, if I learn you said that later, I won't tell you what I'll say about you. Um, But... 
there, I guess I got to tell you, I've worked with some broken people. And there are some people that are just born in such a broken state that outside of God's miraculous works that he just doesn't always do for reasons beyond my comprehension, some people can just only come so far. And God doesn't heal them entirely. And so they do live their whole earthly Christian lives as quite a wretch. And if you don't believe God's grace is that big, that that sort of person who doesn't have that sort of change in their life can really be saved, you don't get God's grace and you misunderstand justification because God's grace really is that big. There is no number of sins a person can commit. There is no type of sin a person can commit that puts that person beyond salvation. That, that's justification. If we are justified, we are truly made right, no matter what. Anything else is a misunderstanding of justification. And people who say, oh, well, this, you can't think this person is saved if they haven't done X, X, and X. They haven't achieved a certain level of moral perfection. What you're really doing is the error of justified by sanctification, right? A lot of us think we're saved because of how good we've been. No, no, no. I know I'm justified by faith in Christ alone. Yeah, but you said that they're not saved because they, they haven't reached X level of purity yet. Therefore, you're in error. So if you think you're saved because you've reached a certain level of supposed holiness, whether explicitly or implicitly, something's wrong with your conception of justification. Because your works are not the reason you're justified. And if ever you start to relate your good works to your own merit, and you start to feel like you're doing pretty good, and God, I like you, Jesus will say what he said in the parable. When you have done all that you were commanded, you will but say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. But when you truly give God credit for the good you do, and Christians do a lot of good, and they should do good, and they should grow in holiness and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, and they should put off the old man and put on the new, but they should never take credit for those things. They see it surely as God's work of grace in their lives. And when they see that work in their lives, it leads them to be assured of their salvation. So see, good works do play a part, but they play a part in our assurance of salvation because we see, yeah, there's no way I could possibly be where I am now based on where I was if God hadn't done a supernatural work in me. So even sanctification and the assurance of justification that comes with it comes not because you worked so hard, but because you acknowledge that God must have saved you because there's no way you could have gotten better without him having worked in you. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? I'm becoming Mike slowly but surely. So, sorry, we're going to talk a lot about sanctification in the next three sermons. So if you feel like I'm leaving stuff out, and not harping about holiness enough, you're right. But I'm trying to keep this sermon on justification, so I'm, and we're going to talk about it for the next three sermons. So just wait. We're going to get there. But I want you to grasp the reason the cross is called a scandal. 
Or as one of my favorite preachers put it, justification is a scandalous freedom because it truly is being saved without being good, which in sanctification will then make you better than you were. And yet, again, I want to go back to those people where I said there's a tension. I'm bouncing back and forth. If someone says, well, I'm saved, therefore I can now live however I want. I mean, once saved, always saved, right? I want to look at those people and say, sure, technically that phrase is correct. Once saved, always saved. But I basically hate it. I don't like once saved, always saved. I don't think it's a good way to communicate because it communicates some wrong things. Because people hear that and they can say, well, I'm saved, so I don't need to follow Jesus or get better or be sanctified or grow in grace or repent of sin. Uh, If someone's talking like that, you can actually be fairly sure that person is not saved. There you go. Right? Some people say, uh, or... So when I was doing drug and alcohol rehab, people would tell me this, right? Once saved, always saved. Ain't that right, preacher? And I would say to them, well, you know, it would be more accurate to say all who are truly saved will in the end be saved. All who are truly saved will in the end be saved. And often I would then add, and based on your lack of concern about holiness, yet ain't one of the saved people, buddy. I know, it seems a little harsh, but you know what? When, you, when I said, listen, you show no intention of changing or remorse over your sin, so the Holy Spirit must not be in you, sometimes that would wake people up to their need for God's mercy, and then they'd put their faith in Christ. Sometimes there's a time to call, you know, call out a sinner and say, get it! So, another thing people will say, well, I'm justified. All right, so we've gone from all the things that sort of flow neatly, out of Galatians, to me just listing a few more random things on the end as we end. (laughs) So, they'd say, I'm justified, and now I need to be good to stay justified. So, my wife, Caitlin, will tell you, that's what she was implicitly, so that means not, it wasn't said like straight up, that's what you got to do, but that's what was implicitly taught in her church. Well, Jesus saved you, uh, the, the, uh, imagery was, all right, Jesus took your slate and wiped it clean. And now your slate is clean and it's up to you to keep it clean. But the gospel is, Jesus showed up, took your slate, threw it across the room and it shattered into a million pieces and gave you his own slate that's got like Teflon or something on it so it can never get dirty again. That's the gospel. Other people will say, well, I know that there's something I've got to do to stay right with God, and I've done all these bad things, so now, uh, because God loves me, and this one, this one makes some psychological sense. Now that I'm saved, and I know God loves me, i got to make up for all the wrong I've done. And this leads people down some very dark paths. Uh, the most disturbing example of one of those is a Will Smith movie uh, that called Seven pounds. Basically, Will Smith was texting and driving and caused a car wreck. Uh, His character, not Will Smith himself. Uh, Will Smith was driving and caused a car wreck that killed seven people. And to make a long story very short, he starts identifying and serving people 
with problems, particularly terminal problems. And at the end, he commits suicide. And he left a will that that said, use my parts of my body to serve these people. And so he served them to the death. And people talk about this movie like it's just beautiful. And I want to scream at them, no, it's not, that's gross and terrible. You need Jesus who paid it all. When before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And there's one last error that comes up a lot. I know I'm justified. I know all that stuff you said, Wes. But I'm still just emotionally and existentially feeling condemned. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about that. Maybe you need to talk to a counselor. Maybe you just need to read a good book or hear a story that gets it to you. But, and sometimes a story is the best therapy. A story that just lets you clearly see the gospel and you relate it to your own and you go, ah, that burden is lifted. Let me tell you the story of the girl who skipped church. And by the way, this is not condoning skipping church, okay? Christians need to go to church. But uh, this is a real, this is not fiction. This really happened. This was a college girl. She was an RUF student. She grew up in the church. She went to church every Sunday. And one Sunday, she woke up, right? She had been a faithful church tender her whole life. She got to college, and she continued to be faithful, right? She, she was walking the straight and narrow. She wasn't sleeping around. She was getting good grades. And one Sunday, she just woke up and, and was exhausted. And she remembered something that her campus minister had said. Nothing you can do will make God stop loving you. And that, I'm just, this was a PCA girl, okay? She knew all this doctrine better than any of us because she grew up in this. And she rolled over and went back to sleep. And she missed church. And when she woke up that afternoon, for the first time in her life, she emotionally and existentially realized that God truly loved her no matter what. Now, again, I'm not condoning skipping church, but she had to fail in the smallest of ways and realize Jesus still loved her and had died for her and risen again for her justification to really emotionally and existentially feel the freedom and release. And that doesn't mean that from then on she quit going to church. No, if anything, she felt more gladness and delight in going to church. But church was no longer a burden It was something she realized she was free to do because even if she missed it, God still loved her. So, I don't know what story you need to hear, but I want you to know that wherever you're feeling that burden, there is freedom to be had in Christ, in justification. And that really brings us back to a reminder of what justification is. I've named all the things it's not. Let me just tell you what it is again. Paul got really graphic about what he wants those who teach false views of justification and the gospel to do to themselves. 
because the truth about justification is so beautiful that it speaks to our very souls and leads us to worship and adore the God who justifies us as a gift. As we said last semester in the Westminster Shorter Catechism series, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification is a gift unearned, undeserved, undeserved, where God forgives every sin we've ever committed and indeed ever will commit by agreeing to take the price upon himself. There is no price you owe anymore. There is no burden for you to bear anymore. And so from now on and for all eternity, he will receive you, Christian, as he receives Jesus Christ himself treating you as an heir of the universe, adopting you as his own child, adoring you and delighting in you, just as he does in Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross to atone and pay for our sins and in his resurrection for our justification to make us right with God. And this gift is received when you have faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, for eternal security and salvation, as well as to inform your emotional and spiritual well-being in this life. So let me say what Pastor Caleb said this morning. You who are in Christ, he knows what you've done, and he doesn't care. He wants you. He knows how hard you're trying, and God wants you to know he's already pleased with you. You're accepted in Christ, so come rest in his loving arms. Think upon this lover of your soul. Meditate. Take a deep breath and relax into the salvation that is yours as a gift. And so he promises not to take it away from you. And then, of course, that's going to start to work itself out in sanctification. But that's where we're going next time. For now, friends, you are justified by grace through faith in Christ. And that is all. Christ alone. And that's good news to bring everlasting existential and emotional comfort to your soul every day and always. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad for the everlasting salvation we have in Christ. And we ask that by your Spirit we truly would have existential and emotional comfort. And that in so doing, that when we begin to experience sanctification, when we begin to walk in good works to your glory, we would find it a delight rather than a drag because we would do it out of gladness and gratitude rather than grumpiness and burden. Help us rest in your justification. Lead those who need something to help them get over that burden. of Maybe they know the doctrine, but they need to feel it. Give that to them. I ask for this for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.